and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden at Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and a good evening in Beijing, China, where we go back to talk with Babu Kesa, who also is a colleague of Kobus at Witts University, where he's a research associate and also pursuing uh, his PhD uh, at Beijing's Communications University. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Thank you, and、uh, good evening. Oh, we're thrilled to have you back, and we're really going to go、right、square in right on Bob's expertise now by talking about the expansion of media, Chinese media in particular, in、uh, in Africa. And this comes at a very interesting time in、uh, in China's global politics. And and the reason why we're excited to have Bob here today is because we're going to talk about China's media expansion in Africa, which is a topic Kobus, you and I have have almost done to death. But it's different today. It's very very different. And let me kind of set up our Conversation, Bob, so you can kind of respond to it in, in the context. Sure, sure. There are two major、okay. events that are happening right now in China that are worthy of discussion. One that the Chinese now are cracking down on foreign media in、uh, in Beijing, particular、uh, particularly the, the the New York Times and and Bloomberg, where they're on the verge of、uh, kicking out some twenty four journalists from both、uh, from both news organizations, and this comes after years now of expelling Melissa Chan from Al Jazeera. And it really is showing a toughening of the politics that's there. But more importantly,、uh, the Chinese have declared、uh, an air defense identification zone, known as an ADIS,、uh, over the East China Sea in the disputed island zones around the what's now the Chinese call it the Diaoyu Islands, the Japanese call it the Senkaku Islands. Now, the reason why this is all related to what's happening in Africa with the expansion of media there is it comes back to this the, the, the debate over whether China is engaging in soft power or hard power. And for that discussion, I'd like to go to an article recently published by the New Yorker, the former New Yorker correspondent in Beijing, and he still writes. On China, his name is Evan Osnos, and he wrote a paragraph which I thought was fascinating. And this is what I'd like to have Bob kind of talk about when we first open our discussion. So, Evan Osnos writes: China is gradually losing interest in soft power. The party spent much of the past decade seeking to project a more attractive and welcoming image to the world. It placed billboards in Times Square, expanded the reach of its news outlets to broadcast more of its views to Africa and Latin America, and built hospitals, roads, and soccer stadiums in developing countries. Those efforts will continue, but the leadership is signaling that it has concluded being liked is less important than simply surviving. Okay, Bob, there you got it. Uh, we're at an interesting time in China's global politics right now.、Uh, there is definitely a hardening of the politics here in Asia,、uh, particularly if you live in Southeast Asia and, and you're in the zone of those disputed islands. In Africa, there's a lot of pride over the expansion of、uh, CCTV, Xinhua, China Radio International, and the China Daily.、Uh, but are we at an intersection, in your point of view, as Evan Osnos suggests? I think、uh, you know. I didn't get to, quite get to the last bit of the question. It was a bit muffled. If you could just repeat kindly. The question is: Are we at an intersection right now、uh, in terms of China's expansion of foreign me- of, of media in Africa, given the fact that it is now engaging in hard power much more aggressively than it has、uh, in past years? No, I, I think the, the way it, the Chinese media relations、uh, with.、Uh, Africa is a little slightly different from the rest of the world. From the particularly, if you say if you look at、um, relations with U.S., Europe, and、um, uh, places like Japan and, and so forth, where the 
uh, you know, particularly because, uh, you know, um, African countries are on the receiving end of uh, Chinese largesse in terms of donations, aid, assistance, and uh, business, uh, you know, business relations that uh, seem to be beneficial to elites in African uh, countries. And, you know, kind of media follows uh, that same, uh, you know, pattern as well. So whereas uh, there will be a little bit of uh, hard power dimensions to an otherwise soft power thing called media, in with uh, the U.S., for example, or with the uh, newspapers and uh, with, with media outlets such as Al Jazeera and uh, New York and so forth, that's not so much the case with many of the uh, African countries because they, they in, in uh, many of the African countries, in fact, virtually all, uh, the, the, the only semblance of resistance you see is probably from um, South Africa and some extent places like Kenya, but um largely countries they are receiving end of uh, Chinese largesse and including media and, and therefore uh, you don't see lots of hard work play in those respects. I, I, I tend to agree with Bob. Like, I mean, you, you don't see a lot of Chinese hard power in Africa at the moment. Um, the, the closest comes to the, 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 the 100 or 200, you know, kind of Chinese troops um, helping to do peacekeeping in, in Mali. So I think in Africa itself, we're still in a soft power paradigm. Um, I, you know, kind of it, uh, where I think that where the, the difference comes is in African reporting about Chinese hard power movements in East Asia. Um, you know, and because obviously African, the African press is covering those, those issues as well. Um, and, you know, I can imagine from, you know, some of the way that those, those perceptions kind of, flow over from East Asia and then also obviously via the via Europe and America where where some you know for a long time a lot of, of co- African coverage of China came from anyway um, you, you would you would see shifts in in perceptions of China perhaps uh, but yeah you know kind of I tend to agree with Bob that well that but Cobus though I mean how do you Cobus yeah. let me ask you though I mean if you if you say that Africa is largely a soft power territory for China how do you I mean you know money kind of plays a difficult role in hard power, soft power. The oceans of money flowing in from China into Africa uh, certainly can be construed as as hard power in terms of where it places its bets, who it backs, what it supports. Uh, you know, speaking up on behalf of, uh, you, you know, Ururu Kenyatta against the ICC, not exactly hard power, but at the same time, not exactly soft power either. So I'm just wondering where you, f- where you feel money fits on the, on the spectrum of hard and soft power. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, money, money is, is obviously c- can be a, a tool for hard power, but I, I, I haven't seen, you know, kind of uh, that, that necessarily that, that Chinese money has so far been used as a kind of a crowbar to, you know, kind of to force Africa in a direction they don't want to go. Um, so far, a lot of that money, you know, because because China remains not a massive aid donor, um, and a lot of those money are coming, you know, re- related to particular projects, and frequently those projects are commissioned by African countries. Um, you know, kind of they. I, I think, you know, as Lucy Corkin recently pointed out in one of our previous podcasts, the African governments maintain a certain amount of agency, or quite a lot of agency, in 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 the kind of deployment and choice and and, and timetables and so on for those for those projects. Um, obviously, it happens within a hard ball playing, you know, trade. Made, you know, 
uh, arena where, where China maintains a lot of power. And I think Africa obviously is, is aware of that. But I don't see, you know, kind of undue, so far I haven't seen undue kind of like leaning on Africans in certain direct, you know, to push them in certain directions through economic power, um, except in the case of the one China policy. Right. Uh, Bob, let me come. Oh, oh, go ahead, Bob. Oh, okay, no, no, I just want to mention that perhaps the uh, one area where you can see Chinese, I don't know if you want to call it hard power or uh, whatever, uh, you know, this technology, but um, where, where China has a difficulty. Uh, and sometimes when you say, say China, you meet perhaps, you know, there's, uh, sometimes we need to distinguish between China, the state, and China, the, the, the companies, the people, and, and, and so forth. But uh, in this respect, the investors who have gone into places like Zambia, in Zimbabwe, and even, you know, to some extent, uh, the, the lower levels of uh, interruption. For example, uh, you know, traders in markets and that uh, the lower end of uh, so- social strata in places like Tanzania, Uganda, you know, Kenya, in, in the place like uh, Ghana, you know, where there are clashes with uh, communities. For example, uh, of course, the famous uh, cases of Chandishi mining, uh, you know, sites in uh, Zambia. But, uh, Increasingly, we've seen this also in uh, East Africa, in Ghana, and, and so forth. And, and, and because it is Chinese uh, traders and Chinese people, sometimes Chinese government takes over. This is a problem. In a way in which, for example, if an American or a South African or a Germany uh, kind of a trader found himself in trouble in uh, Kambala, Uganda, for example, it will not be the German government to come and say, look, um, uh, we are taking over this as a state matter. The, the person will have to go through the legal process. But in the case of China, you see a very close link between the people who have, Chinese people who have gone, migrated to Africa individually, but uh, then the state takes over uh, responsibility whenever they run into trouble. And this then links into the media narratives uh, that uh, we begin to see that uh, the, the, the Chinese government, you know, riding on the fact that uh, Chinese media is state-driven, uh, uh, they, they, they do not uh, want to see a situation where even reporting of incidents like uh, uh, street protests or demonstrations, uh, because in that way then they will show uh, an ugly, if you wish, side of uh, of China in a holistic uh, sense. I thought I, I should just throw in uh, that first. No, no, it's a good point. And actually, if I can com- modify one very minor detail of what you, you pointed out, and this is often a, a common mistake that people make, and I think you were doing it for shorthand, uh, but the media in China is actually not state-driven. It's party-driven. The media actually works for the Communist yeah. Party, and the Communist Party yeah. is the paramount power in China. The state is subservient to the Communist Party. That's something that's an order of power that in, in almost every other country doesn't exist. Typically, the political parties are subservient to the state, uh, and the media, if it is like in the United States with the Voice of America, reports to the government, the BBC is an extension of the British government, uh, but not to a particular party. So just a very minor point there. Uh, Bob, you wrote in, in, the November, uh, in, in, in the November edition of the African Journalism Studies, you wrote a, a, a piece called The Discussion from an East African Perspective on Emerging Trends and Patterns in China-Africa Media Dynamics. Um, and you really talk about the, the importance of East Africa when we talk about China's plans for, uh, for, for expansion in Africa. Why did uh, Beijing select uh, East Africa, Nairobi in particular, as their kind of the, the, the ground zero for their expansion? No, I, I think the Ancobas is on the show. So there's a vying between Kenya and South Africa, for example, as uh, 
I, I think one of the, the, the papers I was going to propose to do is, or the research I was, I'm going to propose to do with COBAS is, uh, uh, you know, to, to do a comparative analysis of between uh, Kenya and South Africa, which one is the media capital of media, yes. Nairobi and Joburg, which one is the media capital of Africa, if there's any such. Yeah, they're the, they're the two know, media capitals, yeah. Mm. <laughs> right. But um, I, I, I think that the fact is that uh, Nairobi has uh, been uh, selected particularly um, because, uh, you know, for the, the, the already the, the city has the presence of uh, other, you know, global media, uh, you know, which have set up to cover Africa from uh, uh, Nairobi. And then, the, you know, this would be New York Times, BBC, Al Jazeera and so forth. All of them are... Uh, or most of them at least have uh, a setup in Nairobi that uh, kind of covers uh, most of the continent. Uh, of course, you know, South Africa also has its own uh, kind of uh, establishment, uh, you know, following on the fact that South Africa is the biggest economy and therefore media follow the money as it were. Um, and I think the reason why perhaps Nairobi uh, has found itself in that stature is that uh, for a long time, Kenya was in the neighborhood of uh, war-torn countries, you know, you know, both you know, Uganda, Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia, you know, and countries nearby have at one point or another been um, in a state of turmoil. And uh, therefore, media came over to Nairobi to see, to, to uh, as a logistical, uh, you know, kind of thing, to be able to cover. And so, Chinese media might have just followed the same as well. Are you guys hearing me? Oh, we're hearing you perfectly. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, in addition, uh, the Chinese media, they first made uh, an entry into Africa. That was through Tanzania, where, you know, today's, uh, you know, China Radio International initially was called uh, the King Radio, uh, was set up in Darslam. Uh, you know, they had a relaying uh, kind of arrangement with the... Uh, uh, Chama Chama Pinduzi or CCM, which is the ruling party, the communist kind of party of uh, Tanzania, associated with the, the late Malimu Julius Nyerere. And, and therefore, uh, and, and you know, Malimu Julius Nyerere's uh, party and country, Tanzania, were actually seen as the beachhead for, you know, the revolutionary struggles uh, against colonialism in neighboring Southern African countries. And uh, Radio Peking, uh, China Radio International today, and to some extent, Singwa News Agency, you know, New China News Agency, used uh, Tanzania, Daslam, as uh, a place for, you know, ideological kind of um, uh, programming and, and, and uh, you know, information and so forth. Uh, and of course, then uh, coming back to Nairobi, China did, uh, following other media, uh, international media, also set up quite early there in 1986, uh, the Singwa News Agency had. Uh, it said quotas transferred from uh, Paris to Nairobi, and and, and and so forth. So I think there are logistical and uh, historical, you know, reasons. But Kobish, you know, well, well, Bob talks a lot about what we call the conventional, traditional, or legacy media, which is radio, print, TV. Uh, you've done some research on the emergence of Chinese new media in Africa, and that, of course, doesn't have a center. It doesn't. It's not grounded anywhere. Uh, but the expansion of WeChat from uh, from uh, uh, you know as a social messaging platform, we're starting to see Baidu come into Africa in a Nigeria in Nigeria on on, on the Huawei platform. Uh, so th- there's really a discrepancy between the old media and the new media for what's going on in Africa. 
Yeah, I think I think the one big difference is at the moment Chinese new media is happening mostly in Chinese. Um, you know, so when when you're talking about Chinese reactions to uh, or, or you know kind of reflections on Africa and reflections on life in Africa, a lot of that is happening still in for the Chinese for a Chinese readership in Chinese. Um, you know, among among themselves. Um, and there isn't there isn't this kind of flow over into into African discourse, which you which you get into conven- in conventional media, because of course conventional media is is engineered to be to to be a, a, a contribution to the African mediascape. Um, you know, so obviously they you know CCTV launched in English, and they they recently um, uh, signed a, a cooperation agreement to get CCTV Francais into West Africa, um, and you know, kind of. The, I think I'm not sure where the Swahili service stands at the moment. Like I know they were planning one, but I'm not sure whether it's, it's running. Um, and you know, so so it's it's positioning itself in conversation with all of these other media entities um, on the continent. While I think um, new media is, uh, you know, kind of the, the networks are being set up by Chinese companies. Africans are reflecting themselves and discussing their lives and so on with other Africans on these networks. Chinese people are on Chinese networks, you know talking about life in Africa for, for a Chinese audience, and the two don't really necessarily communicate. You know, uh, Bob, I want to get your take on something. And I got into, you know, probably the most aggressive pissing match that I've ever had as, <laughs> since we've started this project with the uh, the Globe and Mail, who's the news, the uh, the Canadian newspaper, South Africa correspondent. Actually, I'm sorry, he was in Nairobi at the time. His dateline was Nairobi, but I think he's based in South Africa. His name is Jeffrey York. And he wrote a headline called Why China is Making a Big Play to Control Africa's Media. I called that headline absolutely alarmist. Um, I said that it's not accurate. And boy, he came at me with a vengeance on Twitter. I mean, it was really I was I was kind of taken aback because my broader point here is the fact that, you know, China's made this huge investment in CCTV Africa out of Nairobi. They're giving away Xinhua. China Radio International can be heard in a couple different languages, much like every other country's foreign service radio. I mean, again, not every other country, but Radio France International, France 24, VOA. I mean, the list goes on, Swiss Radio International, you name it. Uh, but he was really pointing out the fact that as part of an investment in uh, in South Africa's independent news and media group, which is one of the largest newspaper publishers, uh, the Chinese government actually does hold a stake. So that was the justification for the headline, Why China is Making a Big Play to Control Africa's Media. I would like to get your take on whether or not you think uh, China is actually looking to control Africa's media. Is it looking to invest in Africa's media, or is it simply looking to have a voice and to influence public opinion? What, what's your take on that? You know, I, my, my own take is, is, is that um, China, yes, uh, has an interest in uh, advancing its uh, voice. And uh, if it will have a hold, you know, if it will have a situation where uh, it uh, reached the proportions to which BBC, for example, is extremely popular in places, uh, in many places in Africa, you know, uh, it, it would have been uh, very happy, you know, if, um, you, you know, if you look at uh, the statements of uh, Chinese leaders, for example, the chief uh, propagandist, uh, uh, the propaganda leader, you know, propaganda is not a negative word here in China, as you well know, um, uh, you know, Li Chun, for example, when he met uh, media executives in uh, various places in Africa, his uh, point was that uh, 
you know, China would like to tell its own story in its own voice rather than relying on other media. Uh, and, and similarly, it was uh, it was encouraging African media to follow suit that, uh, you know, the, the Africans should not hear their voices from, say, CNN or BBC or, or other international global uh, media, particularly from the West. Now, uh, for me, the question then will be, like, it, to, to Jeffrey's perspective will not add up in, in the sense that uh, the media scene in Africa, the media model uh, of, uh, you know, the liberal kind of approach, it does not support the possibility of China having a control uh, through and through. Um, in addition, I will uh, consider it a bit uh, too, you know, you know, like you know, like for, for us who are in theory, we say we call this uh, framing. That sometimes people have. Uh, uh, psychologically attune themselves to looking at things in a uh, certain way, such that it jumps just out of one's head to say, look, there we go. China is looking to uh, control uh, African media by buying it and, and so forth. And um, yet, if, if, if you look at it, actually, China is just trying to raise its voice. And if ownership is one of the things they could do to increase their voice, to combat what they consider negative perceptions, then so be it. Those will be my perspectives. And in, indeed, um, you can actually see that uh, in uh, terms of trying to increase the, the voice uh, internationally, including in Africa, uh, you, you see a, a situation where increasingly Chinese um, Chinese media are buying into private media, like you pointed out in the case of uh, South Africa. Uh, but even in Kenya, uh, which is another example, we see like that the main, uh, the, the biggest the media group, actually they call Nation Media Group, um, which owns TV, radio, newspaper, and so forth, has actually now a deal with China Daily for printing and distribution, as well as uh, other arrangements that are, you know, basically I'm still researching on at this point in time. So, so, so really, uh, that doesn't speak to control, particularly in that particular case. It's actually partnership. Uh, in the past, Chinese media did partnership with state-owned or public media in Africa. But increasingly realizing that uh, public media, um, in uh, various places like Kenya, Nigeria, and so forth, public media are not really the most popular in terms of ratings, uh, in terms of audience reach and share. They have decided, look, we have to deal with private media. Uh, similarly, uh, an indication that really the control might not be uh, the uh, motivation, but rather increasing voice, is seen in a, a Chinese media called Star Times, which is a digital TV. You know, pay, they play in the TV, I mean, the pay TV market, as well as digital migration and so forth. It's an entirely private media, and in various countries, it has uh, done structures. I mean, it has structured deals with both government entities. Uh, state corporations as well as private, so that there is no uh, model that um, really fits uh, in, in any particular case. But they kind of go with what is the situation of a particular country. You know, you know, Kobus, you know, the reason why I didn't like Jeffrey York's headline, now, in his defense, 
he said that he didn't write the headline. An editor uh, back in Canada wrote the headline. But, you know, his point was that, you know, as Bob pointed out, that the Chinese are making investments. Well, no other country is making these kinds of investments that represents the government because the Chinese media, uh, as we talked about earlier, is an extension of the Communist Party, which is an extension of the Chinese government and whatnot. It gets very complicated there. But let me just get the final thoughts from you on this, that I don't believe – that there is an African media, just the same way there isn't an Asian media. Um, you know, we, you, you and Bob mentioned that Johannesburg and, or South Africa and Kenya are the two spots, the two main centers. I'm going to add a third uh, city to that. Cairo is another major center for media. The Egyptian media, the Kenyan media is very, very different than, you know, the Cote d'Ivoire media, which is in French. And then we've got the Portuguese, the Lusophone media. Then we've got Abuja and Lagos, which is a whole other media center whatsoever. So the idea that there is, A, an African media, which I don't believe there is. There's lots of African media because it's largely a regional and local media market and not a continental media market. And then the fact that China has the resources, the sophistication, uh, and, and the scale in order to control all of it, or even enough of it, to me is is an exaggeration, and that was the the point. Now, I don't want to rehash Twitter per se, but I would like to get your take on, you know, kind of looking back on our conversation now. A, do you think that the Chinese are increasingly changing their agenda to be more focused on hard power, and maybe they might lose the appetite for soft power? B, do you think that that they're going to continue to be effective in Africa as they claim they are? In terms of the hard power issue, um, they, they certainly seem to be to be focusing more on hard power in other regions. I, I don't foresee them in the in the, the near future necessarily increasing their hard power in Africa. But even with the PL, um, we talked about the PLA Navy now coming off of the coast of uh, you know coast of Somalia, going through the Suez Canal, showing up in Morocco, showing up in Libya. You don't see a little bit more hard power kind of coming into Africa. Possibly, okay. possibly. I mean, um, so sorry, Bob. Just one point is, you know, kind of sure, but, you know, possibly. But I think in 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 both in the case of the PLA, the Navy um, around Somalia, and in in the peacekeeping in Mali, those are multilateral cooperation agreements. The Chinese are are, are cooperating with with, with the Americans and other and other nations. You know, kind of so. So I think it's and obviously with with African governments as well. So so I think it's it's a bit more complicated than that. But yeah, they might they might be. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see uh, at the moment. Who, whoever knows, who knows what what will happen in you know in the, in the next year in Africa. But at the moment, I don't necessarily see that, that many occasions for that kind of intervention. I don't think the intervention itself is impossible. Um, you know, it, it would it would you know if, if a, a new Libya problem you know crops up, then we might very well see you know kind of more okay. power intervention. So, what's your but, forecast I mean, on the me- what's yeah. your forecast on the media side then? In terms of the media side, one, you know, I'd, I'd like to actually agree with you on one point is that, yeah, you know, kind of African media is very complicated and it's becoming more complicated by the day. It's, it's exploding, actually. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of, of new players involved. And, um, you know, kind of I would disagree with Jeffrey York on one point in the sense that, you know, kind of he, you know, he's making the point that governments don't tend to buy into these kind of media networks. Yeah. 
governments in the West don't. Governments in Africa do. Particularly the South African government has, has recently invested in a whole bunch of different media ventures. Um, you know, as, as, uh, as economic investors, but also it's, they, they occupy the same kind of gray zone between, they're both, they're both making money out of it, but they also have, an, you know, a, a message they're trying to, to pull or a kind of a positioning that they'd like to place themselves in, in regard to certain kind of, certain kind of view, groups of viewers. Um, and, you know the the Chinese actually co-invested with with the South African government in in one such one such venture. So this this kind of gray gray area between governments trying to push a certain message and governments, you know, kind of investing as economic investors for for profit. That that is a is a field of study that that I myself and other people need to get into more. Well, the Jeffrey York article is called "Why China is Making a Big Play to Control Africa's Media." I do recommend that you read it. Everything. Thing in the article is great, except the headline. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to uh, to rehash that because I'm afraid that he's going to come after me again with all guns blazing, which wasn't very pleasant. Uh, but the article, yeah, it, yep. Uh, and then, well, go ahead. Uh, final comments to you, uh, Bob. Eric, I wanted to just point out uh, issues to do with the, the possibilities of us seeing a bit of hard, hard power on the part of China in Africa. Um, as Koba uh, rightly mentioned, that, um, if we look at the you know the definition of uh, soft power as defined by Joseph Nye and some people, whom uh, you know Koba has even edited, uh, I would suggest that the soft power can be seen in another respect that uh, you know Chinese economic engagement is a means of soft power than perhaps. Uh, things like media or Confucius Institutes and the, the, the language, whatever. But I wanted to just point out that mystery, you know, to, to the, the benefit we got from uh, WikiLeaks and, uh, you know, Assange is, is that he pointed out, um, you know, the, the cables, uh, you know, various ambassadors, U.S. ambassadors in Africa pointing out uh, military to military relations where basically Chinese, uh, you know, military hardware providers, companies and, and, and so forth have uh, supplied armies uh, in the continent. And uh, a, a particular case that uh, came to mind is um, in the case of uh, Uganda, where you realize in 2011, sometime in the last quarter of 2011, probably September or August, uh, the U.S. actually sent uh, Marines into Uganda to try and nail down this uh, long-time uh, warlord called Joseph Kony of uh, Lord's uh, Resistance Army. And, um, you know, we see a competitive uh, kind of aspect there in that uh, soon after, in November, we saw the, you know, one of the generals from uh, People's uh, you know, Liberation Army also coming over to China and uh, holding court with the President Seveni there. And, and, and therefore, perhaps, uh, you know, of course, uh, matters military to military are highly sensitive and so forth, but uh, still that's perhaps an area of play. Um, secondly, I think, uh, you know, in, you mentioned the Suez Canal, and, and uh, one must recall that in the case of Libya, uh, China lost quite a lot of uh, huge investments, uh, and, and uh, basically we see a level, uh, in a sense, in which uh, China might have regretted uh, allowing uh, the, I think it was called something like responsibility to protect uh, kind of vote at the UN that allowed uh, you know the NATO powers to to go in there and and they lo- ended up losing a lot of uh, so you, one can imagine uh, you know China actually had to do a lot of uh, evacuation of its staff uh, you know involved in um, oil exploration and uh, 
uh, you know, oil exploitation uh, in, in, in Libya. And therefore, you know, the presence there must be seen in that context that uh, increasingly China has a lot of... Uh, you know, investments uh, in that region. Uh, similarly, in uh, the media sphere, you, you know, media might uh, be seen as, you know, uh, particularly tending towards soft power, you know, Chinese media, uh, spreading the cultural, uh, you know, goodness of, uh, you know, cute side of China. But uh, in some instances, it can also be seen in negative terms in the sense that um, in places like Zimbabwe, in Ethiopia, in uh, Cameroon, uh, there's been uh, talk of uh, China supplying equipment for, ja- you know, you know, jamming for censorship and, uh, and media control and and and, and, that, and, and that, that kind of thing. So, uh, and, but I think China has increasingly been careful because they haven't seen uh, any instance of uh, such equipment, uh, you know, lately. Um, but on the whole, you know, I, I think China is a bit vindicated uh, in that uh, in term in, in about June or July. I don't quite recall the date, but you guys might. might. Uh, when uh, the U.S. had just accused China of uh, Chinese companies, Huawei and ZTE particularly, uh, of uh, being involved in uh, you know, stealing secrets, I think it was called. Uh, and then shortly after that, there was the case of uh, Edward Snowden. And I think China, you know, Chinese authorities, uh, you know, in the, must have been uh, quite vindicated that that was happening at, at that particular time. It was an opportunity. I thought I would just add those. Uh, Let me just ask you one very quick question. Have you ever met anybody in Africa who's watched CCTV? One person. No, no, yes. You know, you know, you want to, if you want to realize there are few, but you know, one of the challenges for CCTV. No, I've met quite a few to start with. But, yeah? did, did, have, uh, have you met people who've actually watched it and, and rely on it as a news source? Just me. Yeah, yeah, Kobus, We know you're the only one viewer in South Africa, but you know, outside of it. <laughs> Probably in Kenya, perhaps because it's based there. But if you want to confirm that there are people watching, you know, go to their Facebook page. Eh? I mean, one of the contradictions is that uh, CCTV yes, Africa has a Facebook and Twitter account. Eh? Uh, and you can see the responses there. When I was in Kenya not too long ago, uh, I was able to see, you know, the lots of, uh, you know, comments from, the, you know, from various places in Africa, actually. Uh, of uh, people making comments, it means they have been viewing. But uh, you know, as to the popularity, I don't think uh, it is that that popular. But, it's uh, you know, not. I mean, I, I, I ask you to, to to go to their Facebook page. Well, I mean, we'll go to their Facebook page, but the you know, it's really not that popular. In part because you know, the Chinese emphasize this thing called positive news. I think it's what it's called, uh, and and it's this idea that you know. They don't, you know, again, news is not necessarily meant to be investigative. It's not meant to be confrontational. And and this is really one of CCTV's very big problems is that, number one, they will not aggressively cover China or China and Africa, which I think is, again, another irony that people may turn to CCTV to find information about China that might be somewhat interesting and, 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 you know, different. And what you get is, you know, you still get these shows, you know, one hour of the Ba people in, you know, from, you know, southwestern China, you know, these documentaries they're just endlessly boring. The storytelling techniques uh, on CCTV, yeah. although they have improved dramatically over the past 10 years, particularly in CCTV Africa and CCTV America, 
still are far behind, what I, in my opinion, the competition from Al Jazeera, from the BBC, from and from other players as well. So content at the end of the day is really going to be very, very important, and the Chinese uh, are very conservative on that front. So, uh, you know, my point is that they're spending a lot of money, they're getting a lot of headlines, and I don't believe they're getting a lot of, you know, return on that investment in terms of influence and viewership. Uh, that's my opinion. So what is your opinion? This is one of the ongoing conversations that we have here at the China Africa Project. Uh, we are just so thrilled that we were able to have Bob Wakesa join us because he is probably the smartest guy uh, on this subject. Next to you, of course, Kobus. I'm not going to leave you uh, out on this one. Uh, Bob, he wrote a piece called, again, if you want to look at it, it's in, the, it's in the Journal of African Journalism Studies, Emerging Trends and Patterns in China-Africa Media Dynamics, a Discussion from an East African Perspective. It was published on uh, November 13th of 2013, so I really highly recommend that you uh, check that out. Uh, he talks a lot about the history of, uh, of Chinese journalism and Chinese media in Africa, particularly in Kenya. And so, uh, so Bob, if people want to follow what you're reading, what you're writing, what's the best way they can stay in touch with you? The China Africa Project, your project. Uh, they, they can always uh, uh, link with me through you. We uh, will, and we do quite a bit. Work out that. We're, we're going to work out that, yeah. Excellent. Well, we'd like to have your writing on our website. Uh, and then also you said you, uh, you, you, you contribute to the Wits University uh, China-Africa yeah, yeah, Reporting the, Project as the, well, the, right? Yeah, so that's the Wits uh, China-Africa Project. You know, that's the Wits uh, China-Africa Reporting uh, Project. Uh, you know, they, they also do have a, a blog where you can find me. Yeah. And that's a fantastic project where, uh, Kobus, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Huang Hongxiang was a guest on our show, and he's part of the WITS uh, China-Africa Reporting Project. Yeah, right, he is, and he's done a fantastic job on uh, uncovering, uh, you know, and doing, I mean, terrible stuff in there, you know, rhino and, and elephant. The elephant poaching <laughs> stuff. So so really a nice hat tip to what the, the folks over at Vitz are doing for for that. And Kobus, speaking of Vitz, you know, where can people find you? Um, you can see, you can find me on our Facebook page where you'll see my name in brackets where I respond to commenters and also on Twitter at Stadenes, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And Facebook, as uh, as Kobus mentioned, is really one of the best places to follow us. 135,000 followers. We're so thrilled that everybody's involved. It's a great conversation. This is really the world's largest discussion about China, Africa going on. You'll see that there's people supporting, people against. It's all different perspectives. Uh, Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Kobus and I are moderating the discussions. Uh, we post articles almost every two or three hours for about 18 hours a day. I'm over here in Asia. Kobus is in South Africa. So uh, so really, if you just want a curated feed of the top stories of the day, that's a great way to follow. And we encourage you to share that with your friends as well. And if you want to follow this podcast, uh, you can do so on iTunes. That's the easiest way. If you are like Bob and you live behind the Great Firewall in China, you can listen to us on Sound. SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash China Talking Points. We're also available in the iTunes store uh, in China, in South Africa, in Africa, and all over the world. And, of course, we're on the BlackBerry Network in South Africa, on the Amazon Kindle, and on Stitcher. So uh, lots of different places. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll be back again very, very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 